Hello and welcome back to another episode of the brand new football podcast that sums it all up. Thank you for joining us today. You may have thought that two weeks without any domestic competition, minimal Arsenal news and general and a general footballing standstill provide you a week without the podcast. Well, you are absolutely incorrect. And no, today's discussion will most certainly not be centred on the soon ending international break. If I'm correct in saying there's still a round of games to go, which is just ridiculous that during this COVID climate, nations have been forced or, or have chosen to play three games in a week and then return to the Christmas period. It's just doesn't, it's just nonsensical. If you're like me, the quicker it's over, the better. And I think I speak for most people in that. At least the next international pause comes relatively deep into 2021. God, (laughs) March, I think it is crazy as football fans, but we all prefer as much normality as possible. And without domestic football, we struggle. That's just how it is. Anyway, we've had our two autumnal international breaks and now is the time, as I said, where fixtures begin to come thick and fast as we move towards the annual Christmas period. And as promised, today's discussion will be centred entirely on fantasy football. Yes, it's everyone's favourite pastime. Sometimes you love it. Actually, a lot of the time you love it. But more often than not, it's quite a struggle to live with it. All things considered, it's just another huge part of the year's competitive footballing focus, at least for me and my guest. So we thought, why not delve deeper into all things fancy football related but before we get into today's show a quick reminder that as per usual each episode of that sums it all up will be uploaded and be available to listen to on Mixcloud as well as fresh air radio's website you can also find the other podcast i feature on fresh air's very own sports hub discussing and dissecting the week's biggest footballing matters in any case ahead of saturday's return of the premier league which i suppose we'll preview in this fancy football orientated show It's officially the ninth round of top flight fixtures. Obviously, some of the teams, Manchester City, Manchester United, Aston Villa and Burnley, I think it is, obviously have only played eight uh, fixtures. But I thought, what better time than to review the first sort of segment of the season, the first real block from a fantasy football perspective. It's a good way of breaking it up, to be honest. And my guests and I are going to try our best to try and cover the main aspects of fantasy football that we've picked up on thus far and how we can do our best to move forwards in an in a encouraging and positive way. So yeah, we're going to discuss how it's gone so far, talk about the, as, we, as they're commonly known, the big hitters, people who have been raking in those points, the underwhelming point wasters, the placeholders that aren't worthy of your places in the team anymore. And the future squad plans for both my guests and I in light of our performances thus far. So to help me wrap my head around it all, we welcome back to the show. He was previously on to help us discuss and dissect Arsenal's 1-0 win over Manchester United a couple of weeks ago. God, that seems like a long time ago. But yes, Alfie Young is back in the studio. Uh, So we welcome him on today. Uh, How are you, Alfie? And how have you found the international break thus far? Very well, thank you for having me back on. Uh, International break, I'm like you, not overly interested in it, especially when England are being dismantled, left, right and centre. But uh, at least we had the slight redeeming factor of a Scotland victory, uh, sort of bit of history, sending them through to uh, one of their first finals in what, sort of 14, 16 years? Indeed. I think it it might have actually been 22 years, so... Just, just goes to show, or something like that. Just goes to show that it was truly a significant, uh, significant moment for Scotland. And, and obviously, living in Scotland at the moment, as we are, as we both are, now, uh, provided what, the mate? international break in, with a little bit of excitement in, at least. Do you live in Scotland, mate? Do you live in Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> hey, me and you. Are, are you current? Are you currently recording? Literally, probably directly above me in the same household. I'm not going to disclose our location to the public because that would be very irresponsible, but we are in the Scottish country. We are. So, um, yeah, you found the international break a mixed bag then, really. I mean... A mixed bag. I had some excitement. 
yeah, or rather it's been pretty dull as it always is, but there's been a positive takeaway from it because of Scotland. Apart Absolutely. From that. I mean, let, let's not lie to ourselves. The Scotland game was not the most exciting game in the world, but it, it brought us some, some good cheer. So we make do. Yeah, it's an interesting one, to be fair, just, just touching upon the international break. And I've said it before, given, I mean, I speak from my own position of being a rather obsessive, compulsive and, and intensive uh, consumer of all sorts of footballing content, be it fancy football, you know, podcasts, articles, whatever it is, YouTube content. It's where, when the Premier League's, you know, on there's just so much content to get through, which I entirely love on a, on a weekly basis. But as much as the international break is completely dull and I wish there were less of them and I find it quite difficult and I become slightly less attached to the footballing world, I think it does provide a degree of respite from the intensity of content uh, and content consumption, especially when it comes to fancy football, because I think that is, it is, if you're taking it seriously, like both of us are, I think it's it's actually a very useful thing to have a, a week or more when you're not constantly checking your phone and worried about who you should put in, who you should put out. I mean, obviously the, those, those thoughts are creeping up on us as we speak, but especially for me, given, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal lost on the eve of the international breaks, uh, starting, they lost 3-0 and one frustrating thing on fancy football and it really, you know, uh, obviously being slightly dramatic and it, and it hits hits hard in a certain way for me but to have that space afterwards I think is is invaluable for reinvigorating and refreshing your, uh, your capacity to then engage again in fancy football and you know, following a team who you, who you love. So yeah, I suppose that's my that's my positive spin on the international break. But yeah, I was wondering, I was wondering if if you to some extent uh, can sympathise with with that view. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to get some distance, especially as you say, not just from the the sort of intensity of the Premier League itself, but if you're doing fancy and that kind of thing, it gives you a nice bit of perspective. Take a step back from all things, let them sort of settle down before you go again. I always find it slightly confusing why everyone hates the international break so much. And then it comes around and it, uh, w- watching and play and I realise why we all hate it so much. <laughs> I think it'd be a nice opportunity to, as you say, sort of see players in a slightly different environment, get a bit of distance from the intensity of the Premier League and just sort of see them playing for England. But there never seems to be that sort of uh, that sort of you know excitement about it. So it's yeah, always well, good to get a little mm. break from, from it all. Yeah, definitely a bit of a uh, bit of breathing space. But we were talking about this yesterday over dinner, or just before dinner, about the the lack of enthusiasm and also, you know, I just don't see England, the national team, in the same light as as I do from a from a perspective of being a you know a, fo- a football fan of of an English team and following the Premier League. I don't view the national team in the same light as I view both my club but also comparing them to other European nations, you know, the likes of Spain, France, Germany, in terms of like how good England can be. And I, I, we, we were sort of discussing or trying to, to pick apart why that might be. And we sort of came to the conclusion, or, or I, at least I was, I was thinking that, that just uh, we've got the individuals and we've got the, the talent, but you were suggesting that it could be down to the coaching, which, you know, is, is very uh, definitely a valid sort of uh, criteria to judge the performances of England at the moment. But then also the sort of more general footballing landscape and, and the traditional strength of these, of these nations, like France, who won the World Cup in 2018, like Germany, who won it in 2014, like Spain, who won it in 2010, Funnily enough, yeah, these these teams that we sort of we we group ourselves with have won F, uh, not FA Cups have won World Cups and have been the dominant team in Europe. And I just don't know if England. I mean, no, we're not there. Funnily enough, someone said to me yesterday, and I don't know if it's still accurate, but I think for a long period of time and still now, maybe not now, but after after losing to Belgium, England are the bookies' favourites <laughs> to win the Euros, if it occurs next summer, which I just find slightly bizarre. I know, I know there's a lot of optimism behind 
behind the team and the individuals. But when you actually, this is what I was trying to say, and I, I can't quite put my finger on it as we were talking about yesterday, but as a team, as a collective, England are just, in my, in my view, nowhere near the likes of, I mean, Germany, France, perhaps Spain. And I know, we, to be fair, we have competed with them, you know, in the in the off-season, in, in friendlies and even some nation league games. I know we've had Belgium more recently, who are also a top team, but I just don't see England in the same vein. So just wanted to get your thoughts quickly on on that, your uh, view on on the conversation we were having yesterday before we get into some some fancy football nuggets. Yeah, I thought you said something really interesting yesterday, which was that the players almost might have a sort of similar, well, you didn't phrase it like this, but a similar view to you in the, in the sense that you don't see the England team as sort of on the same sort of level as the Prem in terms of its importance, in terms of its, you know, desirability. And we were saying that maybe maybe there's something in how the players view, you know, the intensity of the Premier League and how loyal they are to their clubs and how how much they put into those performances, that maybe when they all come together for the national team, there isn't quite that same sort of drive because, you know, as we established, all our players are playing for, you know, top Prem teams and the Prem's one of the best leagues in the world. So what's, how, how can they not put it together for England? Maybe it's because of that attitude, the intensity of the Premier League. I mean, we've heard it from the golden generation before that they were so focused on their clubs and that sort of success that it, they were almost sort of distracted when they came to England duty because, because yeah, the, the quality of the Premier League is actually sort of detracting from, from national success in a sense. It's a potential mm. sort of line of thought. I thought was interesting. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think just, just the developing that slightly, you know, there's, there's all these stories and, and we've, we've seen the likes of Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, John Terry all come on and talk when they're asked about why or what they asked how this, you know, England's golden generation did not, you know, reach their potential in, in tournaments. Cause on paper, they were, they were a lot of the best players in the world at the time. And like you say, the, you know, the, the division within the international like setup in terms of, you know, the Chelsea players sitting together, the, the intense ferocious rivalries between uh, between the English top clubs and the sort of, as you say, the you know the Premier League really at that point, you know, in the starting with the two, uh, the beginning of the the two thousands, uh, you know, just shooting off as as the best league in the world. So maybe there was something in that. I mean, to be fair, you know, you think of the rivalries, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid. There, you know, they 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 over the years have pretty much a lot of the players have hated each other's guts, but they come together on the international stage. And I do feel like England have turned a bit of a corner in terms of people are players more are, are relishing the opportunity to play for the country and take pride in it because I think we we lost that for a while and I think you know it goes to show that we've had some talented players over the years but have not been able to to capitalise on that whereas other nations because of their sort of long standing. Uh, you know, importance and significance of international football and the prestige that the country sort of holds the national team in. I think, you know, you can draw that comparison that quite easily, and and it sort of suggests why maybe England haven't haven't performed at a high level for a while. But having said that, you know, Gareth Southgate, and I know maybe Gareth Southgate isn't the guy, uh, but I think you know he he's done a good job in terms of sort of re resetting. English football prioritising or, or, or bringing through younger players and, you know, sort of allowing these players who are flourishing on a domestic level to, to have a bit more consistency between domestic and international football. Because I think that's also something that you see from France and Germany and, and the likes of those big teams. All the big players can seamlessly slot into their national team, but then back to their club and whoever the you know, maybe maybe that's a that's an indicator of just you know more sort of uh, the setups of of countries like France and Germany are more in touch with you know what their players are good at and stuff like that. But I do think we're starting to see a bit of a, a of an improvement. And I know in light of recent results, maybe people are slightly more pessimistic about England. But I think in general we're in a better position than we were a few years ago, and that is down to better players emerging, but also you know the sort of the sorts of players that are coming through and the, and the there's there seems to be a bit more 
unity and importance given to to playing for England compared to about you know five even ten years ago. Um, but yeah, so let's 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 move on then to uh, to fancy football. Um, yeah, let's preview let's preview the weekend briefly in terms of fixtures. Um, if we if we look ahead, is there are there any games in particular that stand out for you? Uh, anything that anything that you're interested in? I'm thinking perhaps for you, maybe United playing West Brom, you could get your first home win of the season. Um, I'm definitely looking out for for the injured players and and perhaps unwell players in light of COVID and international duty. So yeah, any, anything that stands out uh, in particular this weekend for you. In a way, injuries aren't really concerning me too much unless you're Liverpool and you have, you know, your entire back eight out or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be so many little niggles because of the fixture list, so many sort of cases of COVID and things like that that will get in people's way. So certainly as far as fantasy goes, you know, I'm not taking Salah out. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not, injuries aren't sort of my main focus. Mm. United, uh, secure yeah, a win yeah, at yeah. home. Yeah, you know. Secure a win at home against West Brom. Come on, boys. Let's do it, lads. I mean, come on, it's West Brom. I'd, I'd like to see that. Uh, in terms of the fixtures this weekend, uh, and the obvious ones being Liverpool, Leicester, City, Spurs. I mean, yeah, some can, lovely clashes. Can we see, you know, everyone's favourite fancy duo perform against, against City? Can we see Leicester... Vardy continue to upset Liverpool's now weakened defence. These are the these will be the big the things this weekend, really. Yeah, absolutely. So things there are definitely as there always is when when we've had a break from fantasy, sort of your your interest and and focus becomes emphasised. And given the context that we're in, with players out injured and certain players performing well, and and the fixtures that we've got on. I think there's definitely some very interesting talking points, both football football wise, but if you extend that to fantasy football as well, um, yeah. So I mean, things that I'm I, I've mentioned, what I'm keeping an eye out for, obviously, just in general, I'm I'm, I'm uh, very nervously anticipating Arsenal against Leeds on on Sunday afternoon. That's going to be a, a tough game and Again. all sorts, you know, team selection, response to the Aston Villa defeat, and as I said you know, Liverpool and like you, you touched upon facing Leicester on Sunday without Van Dijk, obviously no Joe Gomez, no Alexander Arnold, Robertson's a doubt, perhaps no Henderson, perhaps no Fabinho, no Mo Salah. And then there's plenty, there's a couple other injuries of sort of longstanding, you know, the likes of uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Joel Matip is, is, very regularly sort of injured his match fitness. Thiago still out? The most reliable. Thiago, yeah. Another name that I completely forgot. I think he's still out. I don't know quite what's going on with him, but yeah, they've just got a ridiculous number of injuries and you sort of forget that Leicester, who they're coming up against, also, I mean, not to that extent, but have been dealing with pretty similar injuries in terms of importance to their team or maybe not because we've seen Leicester have been playing very well, but you think of the likes of, we've spoken about this before, think of the likes of... Uh, it was at Ricardo Pereira, uh, Wilfred and Didi. Soyuncu's just come back in. Johnny Evans has been out. James Madison's only starting to get back to full fitness. Jamie Vardy was obviously a bit injured, but he's back now. So, yeah, I guess what a time for Leicester to play Liverpool. And then obviously Spurs, Spurs City on Saturday at 5.30 is, is one of the big ones. We sort of look back, that, that, that's the, the blockbuster of this weekend. But at the same time, Liverpool-Leicester is actually pretty massive given the position of, of in the league, sort of first and third. And, and the way the teams are playing, they're, they're probably, you know, we're, we're in for a bit of a treat. It's a bit of a challenge. You, you would not, if you're a Liverpool, I think Leicester would be one of the last teams you want to play right now, to be fair. Anywho, so game week nine. Fantasy football managers, there's plenty of issues and, and conundrums and considerations uh, to deal with. Obviously, Mo Salah has COVID-19, so he, I don't think he's... I'm pretty sure he's he's pretty much 100% out for Sunday's game. Not that many people... I mean, maybe quite a few people will transfer transfer him out, but I think both you and I are, are, are sticking with him because inevitably he'll be back next week and, and score a hat-trick or something like that. As I said, there's plenty of other Liverpool players out are there are there any injuries 
currently that are affecting your squad or team selection? I'm thinking, well, apart from Mo Salah, that is. Yeah, so Salah's got COVID and he'll be back hopefully soon enough. I've got Chilwell and Wilson both out. I haven't actually yet delved into quite the depth of those injuries, but my general thinking is that they don't seem too bad. Um, hopefully they're still just going to stay in my squad and uh, I'll bank a transfer for next week. I'm not going to sort of worry too much about getting rid of injured players too, too hastily at this point. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, from what I've heard from, I don't think Callum Wilson's was, was, was too bad. I think it was just a light hamstring issue. We haven't heard, again, like this is a thing. We, well, two things. First of all, International fixtures are still occurring tonight and tomorrow. So who knows what's going to happen? There's already been one round of COVID testing and there's been, I think, you know, staff and players included 16 positive cases, which is the most that there's been, you know, since testing started. And that's not even the second round of testing after the these next couple of matches. So who knows what could happen by the time, uh, you know, the first game, I think it's at 12.30 and Newcastle-Chelsea on Saturday happens it's just slightly ridiculous. And in terms of like making decisions on players, I think fancy wise, it's sort of fancy is quite a good way of measuring how difficult it is for teams and managers at the moment, because you just don't know which players are going to be fit, who might pick up an injury, you know, like Ben Chilwell, for example, had to be taken off uh, against Belgium after, you know, 35 minutes or something with a back spasm. But then he could be, I've read that he is not that serious and he's with the squad for the Iceland game tomorrow night. But if he plays, you know, what does that mean for Chelsea on, on Saturday? You know, there's, there's Jordan Henderson as well. So there's definitely examples of, of players who are slightly doubtful, but you, you don't want to be making decisions on them too, too early because then they might be all right and then something else might crop up with your team. So I think, as you say, banking transfers and we'll get on to so the importance of just being smart. In, in fancy football at the moment is more important than ever, I think, given the, the external context that football's dealing with at the moment but so yeah you said Salah Covid and then you've got Chilwell and Callum Wilson with flags next to them so I mean that's three of your players do you want to give us a quick run through of of your squad as it stands and yeah just just you know sort of a, a general outline of of where you, your thoughts about the squad and your starting 11 and, and strengths and weaknesses I'll go through my, my all my players and then sort of talk about them a bit. I've got Martinez nice. and Ryan in goal. I've got Martinez and Ryan in goal. Lamptey, Chilwell, Carl Walker-Peters, Dallas and Charlie Taylor at the back. Dallas. Dallas. I've got Salah, Son, Grealish, Pedense and Andre, Frank, Zambo and Gisa. What a name. <laughs> and Gisa. <laughs> Gisa, my main man. Uh, Kane, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Callum Wilson up front. It's a well-balanced... Yeah, yeah, I feel like it is quite well-balanced. And one of my sort of main issues at the moment is that I'm actually relatively happy with my squad. And for all the players that I want to bring in that I feel like I'm missing out on, there's not a lot that I want to change. Mm. With the exception of maybe getting rid of one of my Spurs players. Yeah, well, we'll get on to we'll get on to what we're what we're looking to do in the future. But as as well, not as our listeners know, all our many fancy football fanatics, um, where Alfie and I wrote our well, we sort of did a little review because we're trying to we're trying to be nice and as much as we're very emotionally involved in this fantasy, try and take a step back when we can, i.e., during international breaks and when there's a, a bit of a break or gap in fixtures and and run through in a review style sort of what what we've done well what the main takeaways have been how we've been selecting our captains uh you know transfers that we made decisions we've made that have been rash or have paid off so we wrote our first one i think just after the or during the first international break and we're due to we're sort of doing this in in place of but we'll we'll write down the the a week by week by week review which obviously is quite fun and and in terms of using that throughout the season to try and to try and improve and not make the same mistakes or, or do things differently to benefit, you know, your, your point hole by the end of it. 
it's definitely a fun thing. But yeah, I'll just run through my team before we before we get on to some general questions about how it's how it's gone so far. So I've like you, I've got Matt Ryan in goal. Uh, but I haven't got Martinez, although I do want to get Martinez in. I've got Peacock Farrell, so I've gone for a 4.5 and a 4. Unfortunately, Ryan has not paid off. Uh, he he was the guy that I thought could be a little a nice little pick, given I thought Brighton would be pretty good defensively this year, but it hasn't worked out like that. Then I've got Lamptey, Mitchell, Dallas, James Justin, and Kyle Walker Peters. So quite a cheap defense at the moment. I don't have uh, I don't have that that premium pick as of yet. Then I've got Basuma. You're back as, seven. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very, very cheap to be fair. But I, I'm looking to to upgrade over the next few weeks. But we'll get into that. And then I've got Basuma, Wilfred Zaha, Mo Salah, Kevin De Bruyne, Hyungman Son, Dominic Calvert Lewin, Kane, Harry Kane, and Ollie Watkins. That completes my team. So. Yeah, let's 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 pick this apart slightly. So, not just based upon your current squad, but who who have been your your big wins so far in fantasy? Who's done well for you? And by the same token, who's not done so well from you? Who's not done so well, or like who have you missed out on? So, your, your highs and your lows thus far. Sloggers. Well, so one thing I've taken Sloggers. some sort of solace in is that I've done well to get in the players who are doing well sort of before the hype ends, before they start sort of falling off. So I didn't, I didn't have Salah, Son, Kane or DCL at the start of the season. Although don't get me started on how I had both Son and Kane in my first draft of the squad and removed them. But so, yeah, I did sort of well to bring those guys in before they sort of dried up or before their, you know, prices got too expensive. So I've got the kind of the good main lads in at good times. Um, in terms of points I've missed out on, you know, the real bane of my of my existence at the moment is uh, Jimmy Ward Prowse, the man himself. <laughs> brought him in at the start of the season as a little bit of a little bit of a rogue shout for my my six mil midfielder. Did nothing for two or three weeks, and I thought, right, fuck this, he's gone down point two or something. Um, are we allowed to swear on this? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know what. Who cares? Because now it's uploaded. Why, why not? <laughs> it will be uploaded to fresh air, but it's not being broadcasted live. So you know what? Keep it to a minimum. But I'm not. I'm not gonna. Not gonna tell you off. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, Jimmy Walker. Um, Jimmy Ward Prowse has since been banging him in left, right, and centre, which is, is well, been he got, great pain. Two weeks where he got he got eleven and then seventeen, didn't he? He scored a couple, well, three free kicks or something like that. So and you missed out on that. So uh yeah, that's pretty tough to deal with, mate. Unlucky. I also brought in Pulisic instead of Ziyech, which was which was pretty depressing. Yeah, but got injured uh, out three days after I brought him in. <laughs> that's a classic example of, of making your decision based on on good, you know, good indicators and and sort of understandable logic and then regretting it because of the alternative which you probably hadn't considered which i think is one of the biggest things about fantasy it's like oh but i could have done this and it's like i was considering it but like you didn't do it so just try and live with your decision you know if it pays off then you you've done well and if not then that's your decision sort of think where you've gone wrong and <laughs> I'm a, as I'm saying that I'm really just thinking of me leaving Ollie Watkins on my bench last week with 13 points which was which is a tough call to make but I won't be doing that again so maybe maybe it needed to happen who knows but you're right in terms of in not not worrying too much about certain things you miss out on because I would be really silly right now to just straight away bring Ward Prowse back into my team because he's probably you know he might, might get some points later on the season maybe I will at some point but if I brought him in right now he's Guarantee you'll blank for three weeks before he gets any more points. Hey, you don't want to be chasing points. You want to be you want to be like getting on those points like before like I would be one of the first. You want to, you know, be not chasing. You don't want to be chasing because that's never a healthy, sort of sustainable way of of building up the points and, and doing well because you're focusing constantly on what what you could get or like what everyone else has that you don't have. And that can only lead to plenty of minus points you know, transfer-wise taking the hits and, you know, not not retaining squad value and chopping and changing between players, which I think, you know, we've all done where when when we're not that experienced on fantasy football. But yeah, as you say, so before we get on to, we'll talk briefly about captaincy decisions and 
our biggest frustrations. My big hitters so far. Well, I've had Dominic, Dominic Calvert-Lewin in since the beginning, which has been, that was a great call. Had benefited from all his big points. Haven't captained him though, not that I would, but you know, I've, I've had some great points with him and obviously his values skyrocketed. So I got him in when he was 7, 7.0, which was pretty nice. Uh, Danny Ings, before he got injured, was also a good pick for me, given that I didn't have Harry Kane until last or last game week. I bought him in for Danny Ings. I stuck with him and he did decently well. Who else have been my big hitters? I mean, I've had Salah in, but so has everyone, really. Apart from that, not really too many other big hitters, to be fair. You know, I've got... Kevin De Bruyne in, but I'm sort of at this point stuck with him, waiting to to reap the rewards of of keeping the faith. Um, but yeah, those have probably been my big hitters. So f- I will, yes, I will. Whose points have I missed out on? I mean, it's easy to say like someone like Bruno Fernandez. Not that I ever probably would have gone for him, but that's more of a case of of seeing like, oh, it makes so much sense to have him in and away games. But you know, given that I've I opted for Son rightly albeit quite late, but we'll get on to that in terms of my biggest frustration. Um, well, I don't even know if that is my biggest frustration anymore. Probably still is. Um, and yeah, whose points have I missed out on? I guess I was quite late on on the Son and Kane train. I, I got a good week from Son and a good week from Kane, which I guess was pretty good, all things considered. Brought them in at the right times. Um, and... Yeah, I guess there's been other people that I missed out on, you know, but in terms of having Kevin De Bruyne in and then him not really producing or having the potential to produce, missed a penalty, you know, getting minus points. But I guess that's not really missing out on points. That's just Kevin De Bruyne not doing the business, which is a bit of a shame. But yeah, let's get on to the captaincy. How, how have your captaincy selections fared thus far? Is my biggest frustration, I can tell you that much, is that I feel like I've gotten some decent points, I've had some decent players, but I have yet to captain a double-figure haul. I keep getting, you know, maybe a six, maybe a nine even, but I've not yet got a 10, a 12 or a 16 for my captain, which is what you really need to be making that, that differential. Everyone else, you need to have those, you know, that, that, that big, those big jumps in, uh, in points. I mean, half your week can be your captain if you've got like a 15-point haul captain, that's 30 points on the board. That can be half your week sorted. So I need to really need to start nailing those and maybe I'll start to see some progress. Absolutely. I don't think you're alone in that, to be fair. I mean, my my best my best captaincy hall was last week when I captained Kane and that was 18 points. He got nine. So yeah, I guess the players that I've had, I mean, obviously Salah's got a couple couple um good scores, but I've for whatever reason opted to captain else opted to select my captain from elsewhere that week. Yeah, I guess the captaincy thing is is massive, and that is the the thing that will start to separate uh, separate you know those who are who are going to make it this year and those who are sort of going to going to going to stagnate into mediocrity because as as and also you got to think about it like the games are coming thick and fast now. If you can get a couple of bang on nailed on captaincy picks, like you say, who are getting you know eight, nine, ten or plus points. You're, you're, you're really, you know, it's so important. I mean, it's obvious that it's the, it's the easiest way to get your points choosing the right captain, but it's it's quite difficult. And we'll talk about, about uh, maybe we'll talk about towards the end of the show, how, how we can try and do a bit better. Uh, but yeah, let's just touch upon your biggest frustration so far and I'll do mine. I mean, you sort of already touched on it perhaps, but was there anything else that you were frustrated upon or, or was that the James Ward-Prowse thing? Uh, the, the captaincy thing. Oh, that's your biggest frustration. Yeah, that's, fair that's, enough. Yeah, that's my biggest sort of real, that's what's really hindered me so far. You know, missing out on points is one thing, yeah. not getting certain things, but having consistently made sort of average captaincy decisions for eight weeks now, I'm, I'm getting a bit mm. more. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very fair enough. I mean, I'll just touch upon mine very briefly because I don't want don't to reopen those wounds, but having started with... Neither Son or I had a Bamiang and then I moved to Son after his 24 point haul against Southampton. And then he like hit the bar, I think, twice in the first half against Newcastle. 
and then got taken off injured. And it was sort of said that he was out for it with a serious grade hamstring injury for two, three weeks. So I thought, oh, well, this is just terrible and annoying. But I thought, oh, no matter. It's an excuse to upgrade to Kevin De Bruyne. And he's looking quite good. And he, he got a good first week under his belt. So then I bring in De Bruyne and I think Jimenez as well or something. I, I, I took a minus four and it, it made so much sense at the time. And then lo and behold, Son starts, you know, a few days later, gets 18 points or something like that. And gets 13 his next game and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, De Bruyne gets a blank, another blank, and then gets injured. And I was just like, anyway, we'll, we'll draw a line on that. That was my biggest frustration, probably. Or the Ollie Watkins on the bench. Quite blank, probably. bear in mind. He, he he got an assist, but he just missed a penalty, which took all his points off. Well, that as well, yeah. That, that, that's, <laughs> De Bruyne has definitely been a, a bit of a frustration, but well, I think... A traditional blank. <laughs> a tangible frustration on its, in and of itself in terms of what I've had and my my capability of getting more points. Obviously, the Ollie Watkins thing was particularly hard to take because of Arsenal losing 3-0 as well. So I've learned from that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it on the chin, or I have taken it on the chin. It's not been an easy thing to take on the chin. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But So let's move on to the bigger picture. The main takeaways from the first nine weeks when we were talking about this last night. So do you want to do you want to give a go at sort of broadening our our fantasy football managerial mindsets and picking out the key strands of 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 strategy to become a good FPL manager? You mean uh, sort of generally or contextually based on based on what we've seen so far well no so for example yeah from what we've seen so far and in general so for example if we're talking about the defense everyone's sort of invested in 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 Trent Alexander-Arnold and and Andy Robertson or at least if not both definitely one of them uh for the first nine weeks of the season and Robertson to be fair was a decent pick uh initially but as we've seen with the lack of clean sheets and Liverpool's injuries and all sorts of crazy stuff going on, perhaps investing in, in those premium premium defenders hasn't been the wisest thing. So yeah, trends that we've sort of noticed in the first nine weeks that perhaps we could, will extend throughout this season. Yeah. So I was quite lucky actually to take Trent out just the week before he got injured, playing Chilwell for him, who got a goal. So I'm I'm starting to massively become part of that camp where premium defenders are seeming more and more of a risk. Especially, you know, I mean, Robertson might still be performing, but it's not like Liverpool are looking like they're going to keep a lot more clean sheets without half their defence. And given they've been conceding a lot already. Um, yeah, cheap fullbacks seem the way to go, given there's a lot of goals coming and a lot of goals going in. Uh, the age of budget strikers... Is is clearly sort of one to one to pay attention to. I mean, absolutely. Yes, you've got you've got Kane and Vardy banging him in, but uh, I mean, I again, I, I picked Wilson at quite a good time. He got me twelve points next week. Adams is looking like a really good option now that Ings is out, and with injuries like that, these cheaper cheaper strikers are going to do the business. Um, which seems so that seems like uh, two good places to save money are in a uh, defense and attack. Yeah, definitely. And 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 look, it's like, for example, everyone, a lot of people have Ben Chilwell now, you included. And I think as much, in a way, like six million, you're sort of verging on a premium defender pick, but you're still saving money in comparison to Robertson or Trent, who everyone basically had. And you're getting a better, better investment given, you know, Chelsea's ability to keep a clean sheet and also Chilwell's ability to get into the box and, and, uh, and contribute in an attacking sense. And then in striker wise, obviously, you know, I think it would be, it's definitely as we both have, we both, everyone pretty much has got Kane at the moment, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if people move away from him soon or son, but having, you know, one premium striker, i.e. Vardy and, or Kane. And then, you know, you've got the cheap guys who all are looking, you know, at the moment, I think Ollie Watkins, Che Adams, perhaps are looking the most the most promising. I mean, we forget about Patrick Bamford as well, who's 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 had a great start to the season and still pretty cheap. He started, I think, five point five or something like that. He's now six, six point one. So, you know, that goes to show how how impressive he's been this year. Um and yeah, and then I guess midfielders, because I think everyone was focusing on on the midfielders 
at the beginning of this season, given, you know, Salah, Mane, De Bruyne, given how that impressive they were last year, Bruno Fernandes obviously coming in last January and 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 absolutely killing the game fancy wise. And then you've also got, you know, the likes of Hyung Min Son, who started the season at quite a low price and and obviously had those crazy few games. He's quiet and I think he's blanked two games in a row now, but you know, he had those games where he was just banging them in, him and him and Kane combining, and Grealish looks brilliant at the moment. Zaha's playing up front, he looks like a decent pick. So yeah, I guess choosing your midfielders carefully is definitely something that's important. I mean, as it always is, choose all your players carefully, but there's there's some serious points to be had from 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 those midfielders who are, you know, seem to be yeah, seem to be as always very important to your to your to your final point total for the week. Um, but yeah, we were, I mean, we were talking yesterday about the eye test, weren't we? And who's been who's been catching the eye? So I just wanted to ask you if if anyone in particular has caught your eye over the first nine game weeks, or, or currently who you who maybe you have in or you bought in because of that, or you you definitely want to get in quite soon. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about context, what we're doing here is really important because we're not just thinking about, I mean, you have mentioned it, but whether people are blanking or whether people are getting points, but actually whether people are looking like they'll get points, someone like De Bruyne, obviously we know he will, but for you actually, you're maybe looking and thinking, you know, he's not looking necessarily the force he was last season. You know, I mean, he obviously will be at the centre of a lot of City's attacking moves, but players like Grealish, Son and Kane, um, you know, Bruno Fernandes is looking like the heart of United still. I mean, obviously we're not doing that well, but it, it, he's he's sort of hit the ground this season in much the same way he was he was playing last season. So yeah, watching just how players are playing and actually seeing like you know, I mean Grealish, he only got what was it sort of a couple of assists or maybe just one against Arsenal, but he had like two shots cleared off the line or something. He could have had a lot more points there. So. We know he's going to still be producing for Villa. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And Grealish, Grealish is an example. Whilst he's both been producing the points relatively consistently, he also, that combination of... I mean, Villa at the moment seem great uh, investment-wise because they've both got the fantasy sort of aspects going for them. I mean, the the fixture difficulty rating, all their fixtures look great. But then also how Villa have been playing in an attacking sense. You know, their their attacking players are getting attacking contributions there. They're getting chances, they're scoring goals. Grealish is also the talisman, the captain. You know, he's 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 basically everything that everything good that goes goes on at Villa sort of goes through him. So he's just such a great option. You talk about set uh, Con and Sane, Son and Kane. Obviously, have been have been very impressive and then looked very dangerous. They've obviously got a tough run coming coming soon, so people might move away from them. As you say, Bruno Fernandez definitely passing the eye test, especially away from home. Jamie Vardy as well, countering that with with Kevin De Bruyne and and me. Sort of, you know, I'm, I'm one of the only ones I think really to have him in at least in in our sort of. Our, our leagues and circle and it's more of a case of do I want him in at the moment based on the eye test no not really but I haven't got the value from him yet and given the fixtures that are coming up I'm I'm sort of holding out for for some rewards which maybe I don't know if that's the right thing to do because then you're you know you've got to go with sort of what what you see and and what you feel but at the same time I guess it's got to be a combination of of uh, you know, it does have to be a combination, like you said, of of uh, looking at the fixtures, passing the eye test, based upon your team as well. Is there anything you wanted to add on that? It's a completely different decision as well when you have De Bruyne in, and he hasn't necessarily got a couple of points for for a few couple of weeks now. Um, certainly, if you didn't have him in, I'd be as I don't. I'm very tentative now to bring him in, even though he was one I really had earmarked. I'm now sort of second guessing that but if you already have men I don't think there would be you know you're leaving yourself open to a serious son uh, sort of what's the word a, a, a reprisal of your son drama but if you take De Bruyne out and he's inevitably will get a you know, 50 point haul the next week 
So exactly, and I, I I do think you know they've got Spurs this weekend, which ideally you know if I could short termism, I'd be like right, well, who could I get in for that for this week instead of De Bruyne? got a one free transfer. I mean, even someone like Jack Grealish against Brighton or Bruno Fernandes against West Brom would be a short term, probably a, a smart move. But, the, you know, De Bruyne has always got that chance. He's, you know, I don't know if he'll still be on penalties. He probably will be even after his miss last week, but he's still got the capability of scoring probably less so than last year at the moment, but he's still making assists. He also has, you know, his next three home fixtures or something like that. And I know don't take too much uh, import significance from the fixtures but when when they've got a run against like West Brom and Burnley and I can't remember who the other one is like Fulham or something like that then then you can't help but think that that it is time to start investing in Manchester City assets and and chief among them is Kevin De Bruyne I guess but we'll move on to that um, so yeah as we as we've been sort of touching upon especially at the moment given the footballing context the importance of making rational and not rash decisions because you know, there's so many, so many factors that are working in tandem against the the normality of of selecting players based upon you know whether they're at home, uh, how difficult the fixtures are in relation to what they're actually rated on fancy football. You know, everyone's so up and down at the moment. So many goals being conceded. A team can win, you know, like Villa seven two one week, then get bashed three nil. 4-3 by Southampton and then Leeds and then beat Arsenal 3-0. I think, you know, there's just so much consistency lacking at the moment. So I think, as we said last night, and we're, we're quite, it's quite good to, to both be taking this quite seriously because we can discuss the, the importance of taking a step back and trying not to be too rash and, and jump on making transfers, taking hits for short-term like uh, upturn, but then forgetting about the long-term sort of consequence of that and focusing on your own team and not what everyone else is doing. Um, so I think that's very important. But let, let's look forwards uh, just for the last segment of this of this show. So as I said, Christmas period is coming up. It's more important than ever, really. I mean, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a very interesting Christmas period because I think we'll, we'll have plenty of players who are going to come back if they're not injured already, will develop injuries with the frequency of games, you know, COVID as well. So there's going to be plenty of injuries and obviously a lot of people have used their wildcards already. So those chips are looking even more important at the moment, as is having a squad who is who are capable of injuries permitting, being able to put out a solid 11 each week. But as we've touched on before, how important is captaincy choice at the moment? It's going to be massive. And I think you will, you know, the leagues are, and your positions, as you said yesterday, there's just not much point focusing on your points total or your position in rankings because it starts to sort of take shape over the next few weeks, as does the Premier League in a way. Like at the moment, you literally, isn't it? It's a, a spitting image. The, the Premier League table at the moment, everyone's within touching distance. There's not much point looking at, at what's going on from a from a league league point of view and then you look at fancy football leagues as well and you know 50 points or something between top and 15th it's like it's nothing that's that's one or two good captaincy weeks or something like that so yeah what's the plan then what's the plan for game week nine tell me your secrets I mean, spill the beans i mean there are so many variables in play at the moment it's 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 quite difficult which makes as you say having a sustainable team being able to plan long term is so important because who knows who's going to spring up with an injury or a COVID test here or there. You can't you can't just think about the next week. You've got to be thinking about the future. For that reason, I'm probably banking a transfer, as I said, going into game week nine, even though I, you know, I've got a couple injuries in my squad. My best defender might be out. Salah is out. Son and Kane are playing City. Who do I captain? I don't really have a an obvious choice at the moment, but I'm probably nonetheless going to be conservative. You know, maybe take Calvert-Lewin against Fulham or something and and sort of keep my transfers so when it turns out Chilwell and someone else have got longer-term injuries or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, fixtures I'm really looking at at the moment. Spurs are taking a turn for the worse, so you've got to get rid of one of them, really. Cities are taking a turn for the better, so you've got to get one of them in. Maybe you get... Foden instead of De Bruyne, but then and you're playing as I saw really yeah, brilliant, brilliantly phrased athletic uh, Pep Roulette. You're playing with Foden. 
Yeah, Foden's not really had a look in over the last few weeks, to be fair, as well. So that's definitely one to keep an eye on. You know, likes of Mares left out of the squad last week. Bernardo Silva coming on from the bench. I mean, there's Sterling, who's also currently got a bit of a knock. And there's De Bruyne, who's not looking great. I mean, you know, who does that leave in a, in a Man City sense? Who's the guy? Players like Foden and the Mares have been passing the eye test as well. You know, when they were playing, looking like they're really going to be at it. It does leave Cancelo, who is also potentially Jesus. rotation risk, but you know at a slightly cheaper defensive price than than sort of Liverpool defenders, and he's looking mm. again very good in attack. So yeah. uh, may, maybe he could be a, an interesting way forward if, if you're looking for a slightly riskier decision. Mm. But um, and and just to ask you briefly, who uh, is there anyone in your current squad who I mean you've used your wild card already? Who who are the players who are who are Edging ever closer to the chop, or if at all, any. Let's say he's been heading there, but then he did get yeah, a goal so. a couple of weeks ago. Um, so difficult to say with him. Son is probably going to get the chop over Kane. That's a very difficult decision to make. Maybe mm. I'll look to replace Callum Wilson in the long term, but he's got a decent run of fixtures as well. So not much. That's that's what I was saying. You know, I, there's a lot of players I want to bring in, but actually, I quite like my squad, which which puts me in a bit of a bit of a sticky sitch in a way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking here, and and you know, I, like you, it's a bit of a tough one this week because I there's not an obvious transfer I want to make. I mean, actually, I, there probably is bringing Emmy Martinez for for Matt Ryan, but I'll do that maybe later on in the week because Ryan has been in and out of the Brighton team and they haven't been keeping clean sheets. I want Martinez moving forward, both on eye tests, fixtures, everything and value. So that's probably a, a sensible transfer for me. I would like to bank a transfer this week, but then I looked, uh, you know, I'm looking at Bruno Fernandes right now and, you know, West Brom at home. And I know you haven't been great at home, but of all games at home to have, that's probably the best one that Bruno might get something and then on, on the road, he's just been brilliant. And then you've got Southampton, who play a ridiculously high line. West Ham, which may be more difficult than on paper. And then Sheffield United. So you've got three home, three away games in the next five games, which, you know, Bruno Fernandes is very much, uh, he's very much tickling my fancy. Zaha, I've got in at the moment, and we spoke about this yesterday. Probably keep him in because he's got Burnley away, West Brom away, and then Newcastle home. As much as I want to upgrade to Grealish, perhaps long term, maybe keep Zaha in for those next three game weeks and then make the change. By which point also De Bruyne would have played Spurs, Burnley and Fulham. And if he hasn't done the business by then, then maybe I look to take out De Bruyne and Zaha for someone like Bruno Fernandes and Grealish perhaps. And then obviously I've still got the two Spurs boys in. I like the look of Vardy. I think Gabriel Jesus is, is sort of going under the radar because he's just come back from injury. There's no Aguero. So it's quite likely he starts quite a lot and will be among the goals, especially when other Man City players are looking just not quite as convincing as before. And, you know, as, as, as I've just read this morning, they're just creating a lot less chances. All of their attacking players are, are contributing less assists, chances created, all sorts. So, yeah, those are a couple of things that are, are in my mind. But... As I said earlier, we've all got the opportunity of some serious fantasy football points over the next few weeks. Looking ahead, you know, game week nine, which is which is this weekend, to game week sixteen, which I think is, takes us up to Boxing Day. I think it is not, but yeah, Boxing Day. So game week sixteen, yeah, is twenty uh, eighth of December. So just after Boxing Day, you know, we've got eight rounds of fixtures taking place within five weeks. Which which works out as a, quite a few quite a few games to be to be getting some points from, and then January as well. I think there's a bit of a break, and then there's even more fixtures. So this is a seriously fun part of fantasy football. I think at the, the period we're entering into, as well as being great from a footballing perspective, so much football to get stuck into. But just to finish, um, I mean, we've touched upon some of these things already, but let's just have a, a, a conclusive word on on the main sort of. Uh, people that the main issues and people and players that we're looking out for both in terms of team and individual perspectives so you know we've touched upon Man City and and whether De Bruyne is a guy you might want to bring in and, and who else from a Man City perspective given the upturn in fixtures and the downturn in Spurs fixtures um, I don't know if uh, are you thinking what are you think about Liverpool at the moment 
I'm not thinking much about Liverpool in a way. I mean, they're so sort of dominant in attack. They are looking so fragile in defence. I'm just going to sort of stick with Salah and leave them to it in a way. I, yeah. um, I'm not going to... I was sort of looking at Jota actually before this as, a, as an interesting call, but then more rotation risk plus, you know... Um, Mate, I bet Jota, Jota will start instead of Salah on the weekend and he'll score. I bet. That would not, that would not surprise you've me at it, all. You've heard it here, but I'll probably you haven't even heard it here first. I bet a lot of people are thinking <laughs> that, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Uh, and then what do you make of, when we touched upon Bruno Fernandes, but you know, the likes of United and Chelsea, they've got plenty of, of tasty looking attacking assets. The likes of, like you said, Pulisic, who's coming back from injury. I know he hasn't had the start of the season that a lot of people were hoping for. Uh, you've got the likes of Werner, even um, Ziyech, who's starting to look more promising. Then you've got Rashford, Martial, who haven't quite kicked off yet. Bruno Fernandes, obviously. So do you see do you see those two teams and their players starting to become more more credible options? Because at the moment, people are quite tentative to have them in, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chelsea have got so many different angles to go for. Um, I probably won't get a Chelsea midfielder attacking having Chilwell in, but they just, you know, you sort of have to have one of their players in because they're also they're all looking very, very dangerous. United, it's one of those things that I've said to you before, and I'll say again. You know, do you think we're going to go the whole season without winning at home? Because I doubt it. Which means, you know, as bad as our home form might look. We're going to start winning there, so don't sort of don't take those kind of stats to mean too much because you know we're, we're not going to lose games, AKA, games at home this season. AKA get Bruno Fernandes in. I think that's just the play. Honestly, <laughs> this is my my subliminal messaging is is to just get him in. Although I tend to stick away, stay away from players from my team to avoid sort of you know the double whammy, double disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Really, I'm my main interest at the moment is on a City asset and maybe a West Ham asset. Mm. Um, that, that's sort of the two teams I'm looking at and a Leicester one in the long term I need a Leicester player yeah I mean Leicester as well you know talked about some of their important players coming back from injury and, and you know he thinks of back to the likes of Madison and Ricardo Pereira last year even Soyuncu and, and Evans were great and Vardy obviously great value for, for FPL money last, last season at least before Christmas and then injury side is coming thick and fast and then obviously Kane and Son they've established quite a high level of, of of return attacking returns can they maintain it during their their tough run of fixtures do you keep one probably both maybe not you spread it with a man city person person player or a, <laughs> or a manchester united player and then i think the last one that you know touched on already is aston villa and whether they can they can keep up this consistency which i think even if they don't i still think Grealish is a great pick because you know we talked about already having trying to get those talismanic figures into your fantasy teams and Grealish is just that and I don't think it's going to change so I think if you can have any you know I think you probably want two two Villa players this year you either go for for um, Martinez and Grealish or you go for Grealish and maybe Watkins up top as your budget striker because I think two of those are sort of inevitable points unless Villa drop off but I just don't really see them dropping off they, they've got a solid team um, but yeah any, any final reflections on that? Certainly passing the eye test, our Villa. Um, they absolutely are. No. <laughs> Apart from that, onwards and upwards, we, we move to the to the next round of fixtures. In any case, thanks as ever to Alfie for joining us on this podcast. Um, I'm sure he'll be back very soon to to share his 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 footballing knowledge, be it about Manchester United or football or, or fantasy football or whatever it is. But he'll be back on soon. But I hope. All, you, all the lovely listeners have enjoyed this week's discussion on All Matters Fantasy Football Related, topic that will return to the forefront of the podcast discussion at some point in the near future. Hopefully we'll be discussing an Arsenal victory. We've got Leeds on Sunday afternoon, so we shall see how that goes. And good luck to everyone who listens, who's got fantasy football going for them this week. I'm sure everyone's going to be enjoying the return of football. We've got obviously Champions League, Europa League, Premier League, all sorts to look forward to. 
and there's just plenty of football and there's no pay-per-view, which is great. So we'll have another guest on next week to discuss and dissect Arsenal's game against Leeds as well as reviewing the weekend's Premier League action. But until then, stay safe, enjoy your week and we shall see you and speak to you next time.